0: This is football. Mike Tannenbaum joins me for an incredible discussion, mostly focused on going around the league, but we also do some early 2010s Jets talk that everybody's going to enjoy, not just Jets fans, but everybody. Uh, Rex Ryan also some Belichick sauna talk just a couple weeks after some Bill Parcells sauna talk from Channing Crowder. This is your home for legendary coaches in the sauna anecdotes. Okay. Um, very quickly, I want to get to Mike here, but I want to address. Monday night's disaster for the New York Giants, which we're getting. I think everybody saw the numbers through the first two home games. Historic levels of incompetence. It's sad for a franchise that I thought was on the right track coming into this season, even with Daniel Jones' contract. There's all sorts of bad quarterback contracts around football. I didn't think, nor do I I still don't think, that that contract is going to sink the franchise. It hasn't. That's not the reason that the Giants are this bad. The reason is, first of all, uh, Evan Neal is one of the worst draft picks I've ever seen. I was, In my brain, I was like, well, what do I say five years, decade? Like, he can't play. Um, and going from, I mean, he obviously played at a huge, he was a top recruit, played at a huge program. The idea he would get to this level and be incapable of playing well, and I'm sorry, let me back up, incapable of stopping anybody. Like the only reason that he ever stopped anybody was because somebody else got through last night and ended the play before Evan Neal could screw it up. And then you have the, the interior of the line was awful. And obviously, listen, this is, that was not a finished product. They've had injuries, all that stuff. But this is a bad roster that thought that they had it. And that's the difference between, let's say, the Giants and the Bears, is that the Giants thought they were crushing it. Right? Like, that's the problem. And it it gets towards something, and I said this at the beginning, I think it was maybe in the first or second episode of the show, which is someone smart said the Giants and the Vikings had the same problem, which is they won more games than their roster should have last year. And the difference is is the Vikings said, okay, we'll do a soft rebuild. We had a great year last year. Let's figure it out. And the Giants said, let's pay our quarterback $82 million guaranteed. Um, Let's lock in and let's stay at the course. This goes to something I hate. I hate. And the Giants fell for it. Stability for the sake of stability. Not stability because you're on the right track, but stability because you want to say, well, that's settled. And just kind of just throw your hands together and say, okay, good, great, grand. We have a quarterback. Time to get to work. You didn't have a quarterback. You never had a quarterback. You looked good because he was able to make better plays than what the circumstances dictated last year. They didn't have any wide receivers. Their offensive line was still bad last year. He was able to make plays. It doesn't mean you give him $40 million a year. It doesn't mean you give him $82 million guaranteed. It doesn't mean you get into a position where you can't pay other players, including Mike Tannenbaum talks about Saquon Barkley a little bit later, including a guy who seems like, even though he's a running back, even though he's had his ups and downs as a giant, he is the heartbeat of that team. We're seeing that now. I there was There's no better viral advertisement For Saquon Barkley, don't we saw on Monday night because he could have at least relieved some of the pressure, but it goes back to, and I've said this before, but the stability thing reminds me of when um, the commanders, the Washington football team back then, um, signed Alex Smith, traded for Alex Smith and, and signed that huge deal, if you remember. And I remember talking to somebody and I was like, what, "What? what is the point of this? Letting Kirk Cousins walk, getting Alex Smiths, giving him huge money, just as you would have had to do with Kirk Cousins. Said, well, we just want stability here because the quarterback's just been such a huge, huge question mark for so many years. And it's like, well, first of all, who provided that question mark? You did. The commanders did. Um, but then second of all, stability is overrated when it's not the answer. Locking yourself into the wrong answer is worse than having no answer at all. The Alex Smith thing obviously got off to the wrong track. It was hard to judge. He got injured, all that stuff. But it just shows you: just because you have a plan doesn't mean it's a good plan. Don't confuse planning with being smart. Okay, and everybody does all the time. Hey, what's the plan? What's the plan? Do we have to have the plan? And that's part of the problem. And I've, I've talked to guys about this throughout the league. Part of the problem. Is that owners come to the GM and the coach and say, "What's our plan of quarterback?" And if you don't have one, you get fired. If you don't have one, you get fired. And I'm not saying that's going to happen in Atlanta, but right now, Atlanta came into the season with Desmond Ritter and said that's our plan. And God bless them, they didn't overcommit to somebody who was worse, or just or or give a bunch of money to someone like Desmond Ritter, um, a Ritter type of player. They didn't give a bunch of money to him. It's a low commitment there, but they, you know, obviously thought that he was the answer. Um, they plan towards that. They built a season around it. It's not going to work. But anyway, I don't want to keep doing the Falcons. I do want to do the Giants. I got to say, uh, I think Brian Dable is a good coach, but I also think that when you watch the Giants, they look alarmingly poorly coached. How do I reckon with that? I just ignore it and continue to think Brian Dable is a good coach and blame somebody else. In this case, the line, Daniel Jones, and then at some point down the line, when all else has failed, like Joe Shane before that, I'll blame Brian Dable, But it's getting there. We're getting to that point because at some point you watch this Giants team and you say everybody's at fault. Everybody. Daniel Jones is in a weird zone where he's not good, but he deserves better than this. He deserves to not get hit every time he takes a per step drop. Um, He deserves – I mean, like – and, again, like I, I don't want to give him – too much grace because i think that if he was given more time we would just see some of the more poor decision making we saw last night but i don't this team is broken right now and unfortunately they're not designed to be unbroken anytime soon that's why you don't commit to stability for the sake of stability ladies and gentlemen mike tanaba Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only must wager with eligible promo code BET amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet one thousand two hundred fifty dollars bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start gambling problem Arizona call 1-800 next step Colorado Wyoming Kansas affiliated with Kansas crossing casino call 1-800-522-4700 Indiana call 1-800-9 with it. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050, or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia. West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537, or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, Mike Tannenbaum's here, ESPN analyst, longtime NFL executive he just and I told him to pause he just had some baby advice Teddy is now almost nine months old Uh, he just had some baby advice that was given to him from Mr. Bill Parcells Mike you have the floor
1: Kevin first of all it's great to be with you and um congratulations on Teddy and your roster addition that's always a incredible moment in our lives now being a dad however doesn't mean you have to be changing diapers and when we had our daughter I was at the Jets and Coach Parcells just gave me great wisdom that certainly still applies to you, which is as new dads, if we change a diaper that is as leaky as possible, Mm. it's going to be the last diaper you ever have to change because my wife like yours will be like, oh, I'll handle it. You can't. You're not very good at that. And then you never have to change another diaper. Set the standard. Wow. Uh, Wise words
0: from from a sage and Bill Parcells. Um, Let's get to football, Mike. If you were, and this is so hypothetical because the Crafts would never do this, but if you were put in charge of the Patriots today, October 3rd, this week, and you have to have a conversation about Bill Belichick, about his future, um, you tell Bill Belichick what right now off of Sunday's game?
1: Don't change. You know, I I had the privilege of working for Coach Belichick twice in my career, and I will tell you that um, he's the harshest critic on himself of anybody he's a thought leader um he's uh has his views but he's not dogmatic and i would just tell him don't change you know like what made you the what will soon to be the greatest coach in the history of our sport you know don't lose that mindset you know keep the standards the standards and um trust your gut trust your judgment and um you know we're here to help but um you know we believe in you do you think
0: Things get, I mean, obviously things get better from one of the worst losses we've ever seen from, from a Belichick team, but do you think roster-wise there's a, a path forward for this team where they actually compete for playoff spots consistently the next two, three years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's um, – working for Coach Parcells and Coach Belichick, when, we're, when we weren't talking about how to change diapers and we were talking about football, <laughs> you know, like there, there's something that really applies here to the Patriots, which is – There's a lot of different ways to control the game. And if you look at what New England does have for a minute, and we'll get to what they don't, but what they do have is a really good defense. Now, look, if Matthew Judon is out for a considerable amount of time, which reportedly as of today, it sounds like he will be, um, but they have a great defense or certainly a very good defense. They have two outstanding tight ends in Hunter Henry and Mike Gusecki. They have a very good running back in Ramadre Stevenson, and they used to have a quarterback that was smart and dependable, who a lot of us thought could be sort of like Matt Ryan ish. So mm-hmm. how do how do we win games knowing that there's you know teams out there like the Kansas City or that can put up a lot of points? We can't beat ourselves. You know, Coach Belichick has always talked about that, Kevin. We can't beat ourselves. Teams will lose games way more than we have to win it. That clearly didn't happen against Dallas, and that can never happen again. So Mac Jones, like, you have to make consistently good decisions for us to win because we don't have the same margin the other teams do. They need to continue to add explosive elements to this offense. I think Pop Douglas is certainly going to be one of those. I think they can make explosive plays with their tight ends, and they're going to need to add somebody. You know, at some point, I uh, I broadcast the Jet Patriot game with Steve Levy, Kevin, and you know the most explosive play came out of three tight ends with Faro Brown and uh, you know Sauce Gardner dropped the coverage. So you're not going to make a living doing that, but I think they're closer to being meaningfully competitive than some of the reports out there saying that it's over because that's just not true. They have a lot of good pieces. They have a lot of good pieces on offense. They're not perfect. They probably could use a little bit more juice on the outside. But you give me a roster, and I'll tell you the holes they have. Nobody has a perfect team. But at the end of
0: this season, who is the best team in football? Because I was going to ask you, like, because I think it's reductive to say, okay, we just saw the Bills versus the Dolphins. Those two teams had an argument going into Sunday. The Bills have a lead right now, but like after we're sitting here on January 10th or whenever the playoffs start, we're saying who is the best team in football? Man,
1: you know, probably Kansas City, but yeah, I, I, you know, like they showed some vulnerabilities the other night, like in the cap system, Kevin. You know, I would say San Francisco, but look. Brock Purdy's a good player. Um, You know, they're in that conversation. I don't think Philly looks the same. Dallas, obviously, losing Trayvon Diggs, although Deron Bland's played well. You know, Josh Allen, when he's playing like he did on Sunday, they're going to be hard to beat, but losing Tredavious White, you know, like, it's, it's funny because, like, Deron Bland's going to have to replace Diggs just the way Kyrie Elam's going to have to replace Tradavius White, and Kyrie Elam was a first-round pick who was a healthy scratch on Sunday, so... um, Yo, know, you tell me the team and like I said, they all have issues they got to work through. Speaking
0: of, um let's go through and some and fix some franchises. We're going to start with the team that needs a lot of fixing right now because Monday night was unbelievable to me. Um, and they gave Daniel Jones, obviously, the contract, and the numbers are buzzy. There are outs in that contract. I think it was $82 million guaranteed. I think people saw the 160, and their eyes got big, but, but it really is uh, essentially what amounts to a, a two-year guaranteed type of deal. Um, but this roster needs a lot of work. They're not totally healthy, but this was a game where you just start to question everything. If you're put in charge of the Giants tomorrow, you start where?
1: I make Saquon Barkley – I get hit. I can't get his deal done till after the season. If I get him signed, he's he's your best player. I think there's too much dogmatic conversation around. It's the running back. No. Yeah. Saquon Barkley is a great player. Like the way Bijan Robinson is. You know, it was interesting. I, I know Tom Herman very well, and Tom Herman's now the head coach at FAU. He recruited Bijan Robinson at Texas, and they played him a lot in the slot. Like Saquon Barkley changes games. They paid the wrong guy. If you told me I could have Riley Leonard or Daniel Jones, I'm taking Riley Leonard. Um, I I think there's a ceiling on Daniel Jones, and I think candidly they paid the wrong player. What do you do now? Like, it,
0: t- is is there anything you can do now? I mean, other than a time machine, it just feels like you just kind of take your medicine and 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 let the contract get told until it, you can get out of it, right? Yeah, and
1: I would keep scouring. You know, next year there's gonna be a lot of quarterbacks in the draft. Yep. You know, the the Kevin right now. You know, certainly like the headlines is you know the Caleb Williams of the world, but there's gonna be probably five or six first round quarterbacks. We talk about Penix and Quinn and Riley Leonard. If I'm them, I'm drafting a quarterback um, because I think when you put Daniel Jones in the pocket and you rush him to keep him in the pocket, he's an average player. You know, his biggest plays are outside the pocket. I think Evan Neal is somebody that unless his foot quickness changes dramatically, he's either going to have to move inside the guard or they're going to have to move on from him. That's hard to do when he was just, you know, taken, you know, last year in the top 10, but you know, you look at makai Becton and Evan Neal, their lack of foot quickness is killing them.
0: Yeah, no, I, I cannot believe how bad Evan Neal is. I cannot believe, like, it, it looks like, and, and it's just obviously, it's so pronounced because when it's a tackle, you can just see guys blowing past him. But I'm not sure I've ever seen um, a a top ten pick looked that bad uh, in his second year, and maybe I'm I'm totally uh, blanking on something. But obviously, quarterbacks aside, because we saw we've seen Zach Wilson start and all that stuff. But I was blown away uh, by how bad Neal was the other night. Um, same question about the Bears. Um, this is this is a team that lower expectations certainly, but there are people in the league who still say Ryan Poles is on the right track. Maybe Refluse is not. But like when you look at this team, like. Is, is there is there any optimistic case right now if you're a Bears fan, Mike?
1: Yeah, you know, I was on record. I would have taken, you know, Bryce Young. You know, I like Justin Fields. Yeah. He played great for three quarters in fairness to him on Sunday. Um, look, it's easy to say, like, don't trade Chase Claypool for the 33rd pick. I just <laughs> – look, I would just say this, like, you know, JC Jackson signing with the Chargers or Mike Tomlin, like – Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick are not going to trade young, selfless, high character, productive players. Like they're just not going to do that. Like when Chase Claypool or JC Jackson's available, there's a reason for it. And I'm not messing around with any of those players that are leaving from those two head coaches. You know, I spent a lot of time studying like which coaches and organizations evaluate their own correctly. Those two evaluate their own correctly. I would really put as much resources now into their lines I think while well, Darnell Wright's probably going to be a pretty good offensive tackle, not taking Jalen Carter is really going to hurt this franchise because when you could get quick interior pressure, Kevin, that could cover up for a lot of other deficiencies.
0: When you mentioned teams and how they evaluate their own and how they, I guess you could say, self scout their entire organization, like what does that entail? Like what what's the difference between a, a franchise that does a good job and a bad job
1: of that? So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, Coach Parcells talked a lot about um, relative to like team building. Like, so we actually called it the outdoor report and we would actually evaluate the players that left certain decision makers and we would see how productive they were. And some just understand how to evaluate their own better. You know, a lot of times um, a new head coach or GM will come in with all the answers and they'll just try to indiscriminately get rid of all the former players. And a lot of times those players can still play and it creates opportunities. So, um, and I saw like firsthand in 1997, I got hired by coach Parcells and Belichick, the 96 just won one game. We won nine and it came down to coaching and accountability. And a lot of times there's a lot of good players on bad teams. Um, and if you're patient enough to get the most out of them, you can.
0: What's one thing, and obviously you worked for, we'll, we'll start, we'll start with, uh, with, with Parcells because. It was funny. One of the reasons I thought Sean Payton might work this year in Denver, and I didn't think they were going to win 11 games, but they'd be better than they were last year, is because he worked for Coach Parcells and nobody was better at immediately establishing a culture than bill parcells and maybe it took till, till year two to actually turn around the franchise but it began in year one his harvard business review study uh where he basically outlines how he turns around on team is one of the best football writing i've ever seen um because he uh it's a mixture of honesty if you read his book it's just improving special teams all of that stuff but working under bill parcells how do you i know this is a huge question but like
1: the key to turning around a team is what mike it's it's pretty simple actually. it's having expectations and yeah. when people beat them, they stay and when they're not, you have to be beholden to that standard and not be afraid of hard conversations. and I know that sounds incredibly simplistic, but I've been around other coaches that can't do that and if we say the standard is the standard and whatever that may be, being on time, knowing the plays, being you know making your weight, whatever it is like like you're gonna stick around if you don't know what to do, you won't be here. if you're not, like take Chase Claypool for example. Like Chase Claypool has ability that's um very clear, Kevin. But if he's not blocking in the run game, like we don't want him on the team. If we don't have running backs that are great pass protectors, they're not gonna be on our team. Like we used to write incentives for running backs that they got paid extra money when we were good in the passing game because we wanted selflessness and we used economics to engineer that behavior. And I think one of the things that anybody that has ever worked for coach Parcells or coach Belichick, like those are the standards and they're, they're, they are not compromised and everyone knows where they stand. I mean, you know, Zach Wilson, albeit he did play better against Kansas city. Like he should have been benched against the Patriots. He wasn't playing good enough. And, and players see that and they struggle with it because what happens is Kevin, they know that the NFL is the ultimate meritocracy. And if you're going to bench me coach, why is he, you know, to a different standard.
0: It it goes back to something. I was actually looking at this the other night when I was thinking about Zach Wilson uh, a week ago, because when Matt Flynn, if you remember, was supposed to be the starter in Seattle, he got beat up by Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, his rationale for, for naming Russell Wilson as a third round pick after one training camp as the starter, his rationale was that if I don't name the best player available, no one's going to be able to take me seriously ever again. When I talk about competition, and for me, like I'm looking at the Jets right now, and again, you mentioned Zach Wilson did play really well on Sunday relative to, to how he had played. But like, if I'm Robert Salah and I'm looking at all of these great players in my roster across the defense, on the the young wide receivers, all of that stuff, Dalvin Cook in the backfield, and and they're all saying, "Well, I'm proving I'm great every single day." Zach Wilson isn't. It seems to me it could start to
1: eat away at the culture of the franchise. Am I wrong, Mike? No, so you're a thousand percent correct. That that's that's a hundred percent it's exactly right. And what Sala has to be careful of, Kevin, is like not what the players are saying, but it's what they're thinking. And it, it it eviscerates why why does Bill Parcells go to four different buildings and make the playoffs for the very like the standards are the standards? And you know, when Robert Sala says things at the press conference that no one believes, it really hurts his <laughs> credibility. Um, and the players know it. Like, the players are a great check and balance. Like, they they see the same thing everybody else sees.
0: Is there um, – and I was thinking about this with Arthur Smith in Atlanta the other day um, because he was saying that Kyle Pitts doesn't care or Drake doesn't care about not getting the ball. They just want to win, all that stuff. And I'm sitting here thinking they might say that and they might tell the media that, but you don't get paid based on – if you're Kyle Pitts, if you're if you're a, or a first-round wide receiver um, or any of these guys, any of these – I mean, they have – you know, three really good pass catching targets. Um, you don't get paid based on uh willingness to help the team win. You get paid based on targets and production and all that stuff. Um, how do you have conversations? How did how did you have conversations with players um in that regard where it's like, okay, your role might not make you a lot of money, but you got to sacrifice like how did you sort of balance that um when when you were in when you knew you might lose a player who maybe wasn't on track to get a lot of money? Yep. Um
1: it's a very fair question. I would go to Kyle Pitts and say, Hey, look, here's the deal. Like Arthur blanks align with this. Like we're building a winning team here. And when we win, you're going to get paid and you're going to get paid really well because you're going to be, if you're playing and we're winning and that's why it's really important to reward Saquon Barkley because right. Players see that they, you know, I traded a player early on when I was a GM because he had DUI. And I just felt like, when you pay people or don't pay people, that sends a message to your locker room. And I've paid the wrong player more than once. Um, so I'm not saying that you know my standard was – what we did was perfect. But my point is, like, I would use that actually as an opportunity, Kevin, if I'm Arthur Smith, to quickly pay a player who doesn't have the stats but is doing everything right, making up a name like a Johnu Smith. Right. John o. Smith does a lot of jobs that don't st- show up on the stat sheet but he's a really, really, really good player. Um, And when you could pay players that don't show up on a stat sheet, that's when you really have, you know, the right thing going on. And I look at a franchise like Baltimore, for example, every year they're eviscerated by injuries and every year they keep figuring out a way to win. Like they're doing something right. And Devin Duvernay, who was probably an afterthought in the spring because they have OBJ and they send sign Nelson Aguilar and they draft Zay Flowers. I'm sure Devin Duvernay went home and had some really tough nights. But guess what? He has a massive opportunity now. And I would be saying like, you know what, Devin, go be the best blocking wide receiver in the NFL and watch what we do with your contract.
0: Yeah, no, totally. And I think, I think it's really fascinating um, how it is. You mentioned paying the wrong players. You don't have to answer this, but I'm going to give you the floor. Worst contract you ever gave and what was the wrong process behind it?
1: Yep. So we paid a player outside of our building, made him the highest paid player at his position and that's just something you shouldn't do. Like you don't want to have the highest paid player at any of your position groups, not be from within. It just sends the wrong message. And uh, it was a mistake I, I made once and, and would never have made again. Um, because again, you know, Kevin, if you show up every day and work hard, if you're at the wall street journal or Omaha or, or the ringer or <laughs> wherever you're going to be. Next, sure. Hypothetically, sure. Hypothetically, Right, and you bust your ass, and they bring somebody else in and pay them a little bit more. You're like, well, what the f? Like, I show yeah. up every day. I have great grammar. I don't, you know, incorrectly conjugate my <laughs> verbs. You know, there's no uh, iambic pentameter issues with you. So, like, in all seriousness, like, you would be pissed <laughs> off. If they brought somebody in yeah. and yes. more money, and I made that mistake and pissed some people off, and they were right, and I was wrong. Uh. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Bill Belichick is the master
0: at understanding how finances dictate what goes on in the locker room. Am I wrong? Like, I, I've heard stories that's about basically he understands, like, if I yeah. pay this guy more than this guy, the whole thing
1: goes to hell. Yeah, that's one of his many superpowers.
0: Uh, all right, Let's see statute of limitations theater stories you can tell now that you weren't able to um, in the past. Number one thing we don't know about Bill Belichick that people would surprise people, either from a football perspective or a non-football perspective.
1: He likes the sauna. He likes throwing the sauna. Yeah, I, I had a lot of good conversations with Coach Belichick in the sauna. Wow. Do you just get in there and just and just talk about life? Yeah, and Bill, was, uh, Bill has a great sense of humor. Bill has, you know, like I wish the one thing people knew about Bill Belichick like how much he cares deeply about young people. Like, you know, there was other people involved, Mike Lombardi, Scott Pioli, like, but he gave me an opportunity, like, I'll never forget. And um, he stood out for like a lot of people. And, you know, he lived in a beach chair in Detroit when he was a special teams coach. And, you know, he paid his dues, Kevin. And look, it wasn't always easy. I'm not saying it was, but he's given a lot, like, Look at Cleveland, like Jim Schwartz and Eric Mangini yeah. and Scott Pioli and George Coquinas, Kirk Ferentz, Nick Saban. I mean, the list, it's legendary. And, like, how unbelievably lucky am I, like, to be able to say, like, you know, I work for him. And he 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 knew how to have fun. He knew how to – he he gave people green game balls, meaning he gave them cash when we won games. He was – he paid people out of his own pocket. Um, he was – he he's really a selfless person that cares more like I think he feels and I I hate to speak like that but he doesn't really think about the media as a way to let people get to know him he thinks about the media as that's part of his job but there's a side of him that's really special
0: why do you think he doesn't want to show it and then the second part of this question is do you think he will
1: show it after he's done I hope he does but you know how like you, you meet people in life and they say like I don't really care what people think but they do right I think that's certainly been me at certain times in my life, you know, and I think as I've gotten older, I care less, but he's one of those people, like he's a great human being who cares deeply about the game, takes his responsibilities very seriously and really does try to help others. Like I could tell you the notes and emails and texts I've gotten from him and countless others. And um, he doesn't really care if, you know, you know, reporter X of, you know, Y newspaper knows that, like, He's not being fulfilled by you know being in a contest that has anything to do with popularity. I know you mentioned
0: maybe you've you, you you have cared what people think about you when you're running teams or whatever. Um how much did you read the media when you were when you were running the Jets and the Dolphins?
1: Yeah, I would say this like I I read it less and less as I went along <laughs> but, but 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 your loved ones do read it and they right. and they and they amplify. And then and then you got to deal with it. And there's not a head coach or GM in the league right now that doesn't read it to some extent. Some read it more than others, but they all know. Like it's impossible not to know. Like your barber, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion, and you just try to block it out. And I think where I had success in my career was I always said to myself, like, if I could look to the left and to the right with the head coach and owner, if they're on the same page, I really didn't care what others like. I I knew some decisions were going to be popular or whatever, but I thought I I did a good job of always communicating with the owner and the head coach to say, Hey, if we do this, here's what we can't do from a cap standpoint or a draft standpoint, or, Hey, we think our left guard sucks. And if we extend on this linebacker, we're still going to have a left guard that we hate. So let's make sure that we're having that conversation. And I I felt like I was good at that, but like when you're running a team in New York, like you can't not have a sense of what's going on because of the, of the market.
0: Right. No, I completely agree. And also the media is just so uh it's everywhere. Um, has it did it get worse or better? Like beat writers probably have less influence than they did twenty five years ago, let's say it, because newspapers are not what they were, but now it's tweets, things get taken out of context, the internet and social media have just blown up everything. Like, is it harder to be in football with the way the media is now,
1: or is it easier because newspapers are not a thing anymore? Well, I don't know. I was always big into the process. I was always big into like no shortcuts. Right. So I, I, I actually liked the scrutiny. I didn't like the loudest voice was going to win or there was, you know, people in both markets that had, you know, whether they deserved it or not, they had big platforms. I I always struggled with that, you know? So I, I liked the scrutiny. I liked the, you know, the thoughtful sort of like analysis, Kevin. So I I did well with that. I did not do well where I just thought people were, you know, bloviating because they had a a platform to do so. Uh,
0: We need need to get the story on video. Did
1: you think Howie Roseman was a
0: complete psychopath when he first started to reach out to you? I was impressed by
1: his moxie and his (laughs) relentlessness. All right, tell the story for people who don't know. Yeah, you know, Howie reached out to me a lot. He was a law student at Fordham University. Um, He became the finalist for a job that wound up going to somebody else who has actually gone on to have a very good career for themselves, albeit not to the extent from a notoriety standpoint. But this other person actually has multiple Super Bowl rings. I'll just leave it at that. Um, So at the time, he was also reaching out to Joe Banner of the Eagles. And I said to Joe, his name came up in a conversation, I'm like, He's actually a good person. I met with him. I would actually recommend him. He was a finalist for a position, and it was a pretty close decision. And if there was another opening, I would, you know, certainly, you know, strongly consider him. And obviously, you know, as we know, the rest is is history. Kevin,
0: the Eagles have Eagles fans have you to thank. The Eagles have you to thank. You you started the whole thing. You, uh, that's that's what what a wonderful little sliding doors moment there. Um, Jets fans might be upset, but we'll we'll uh, we'll leave that to another day. Um, all right, we're gonna do badasses. It's uh, any the the most badass person you've ever worked with. Obviously, would probably be a player. Will probably be on those those Jets teams. Um, the floor is yours, Mike.
1: Yeah, this one's really easy for me. Damian Woody finished an NFL playoff game with a torn Achilles and played right tackle. And I will never forget. You know, like there are just moments in your life, like to win a road playoff game. Kevin is just absolutely. And most indescribable thing. And uh it was awesome. I'm standing at the front of the locker room. We're in Indianapolis, we beat the Colts, road playoff win. And I will never forget it. I will go to my grave. We had white jerseys on, and there's this massive, like red Gatorade punch stain on D Wood's like front of his jersey. And I got you know a suit on, and I'm hugging one guy after the next, totally eu- euphoric. And here's like D Wood walking in, like completely somber and like you see d wood on tv he's a big jovial happy guy and like we just had a road effing playoff win and he (laughs) and 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 i i'll never forget like he walked in like 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 totally mundane and i'm like what is wrong with you like everyone's going apoplectic and he was in so much pain and he was playing literally on one leg and you could actually watch him play with no Achilles tendon. It is. I don't think there's another feat in North American sports history that is more consequential, more heroic and defies medical logic than Damian Woody finishing an NFL playoff game at right tackle with no Achilles tendon.
0: Wow. Damian Woody. Wow. I didn't know. I obviously I've, met him many times he's a great guy i had no idea he was such a, a badass to, to go back to the name of the segment that's unbelievable those rex ryan teams felt special like from a from an outsider i think i was in college back then watching it and then obviously ended up watching that year and then obviously ended up um uh covering the team a little bit and that's where we first met but like what being on the inside made gave those teams that kind of juice mike
1: so sorry with rex like a real belief we were the baddest team on the planet And uh, he really played into it. I mean, there were times he would tell Shadi, you know, our offensive coordinator, like, we're going to run the ball, tell the other team we're going to run the ball, and then we're going to run the ball. And, like, he actually (laughs) meant it. And, like, you know, there were times I was in the room. Like, he would tell Mike Westhoff, our special teams coach, like, we're not practicing kickoff return because they're not scoring this week. So, they're only kicking off once. We're taking it off the script. They have no chance. We are not practicing kickoff return. Oh, my God. And and from every ounce of his soul, Kevin believed it. And he and so much so, like, like the players like thought he walked on water and like gave them but he he was like I'll give you a great story. Like there was a player somewhat under the radar, a mod Carroll, Batman, mm-hmm. first round quarter for University of Arkansas. Didn't work out on Green Bay, he had a lot of personal fouls. So we get him. And this is the essence of coaching. And this is what pisses me off about the NFL. When a coach says, oh, let's move on from he can't play. Like he's a bust or whatever. This is why Rex Ryan's Rex Ryan. We get Ahmad Carroll, physically as gifted as anybody. That's why he was a first-round pick. What do you like to do, coach? I really like to blitz. Great. That day, Rex Ryan installed the Batman Blitz. Ahmad Carroll's nickname was Batman. And not only was he a great blitzer. But what happens is, and this is where like some coaches get it and some just don't, when the 53rd player has a blitz named after him, he's going to give you everything he's got at practice. Now all of a sudden your practices are better because he's bought in, he's more competitive. Like I would say to Kyle Pitts, like Kyle, we're going to get you the ball in London, right? I want you to come up with the play that you think works best against Jacksonville's defense and we're going to call it, you know, Gatorade or, you know, something after, whatever. Yeah. And Now Kyle Pitts is, like, bought in and he has, like, great ownership. And that's why, like, Rex was Rex. Like, you know, could I coach Darrell Rivas? Yeah, I could have coached Darrell Rivas. Like, we're going to play man-to-man, right? Like, that's our call. But his ability to reach guys like Ahmad Carroll is what made Rex really special.
0: I I love this. I love this whole segment here. Is there, uh, are there any other called shots Rex had? Like, I love the idea of like him telling Shadi to t- tell the other team we're running the ball not covering kickoffs. Like, was this a daily or a weekly occurrence that Rex would be like, all right, this is what we're doing because this is going to happen.
1: Yeah. And, and maybe the best one is, is my line. So I'll give it to you. We were, we were playing the chargers in a playoff game and we were the last game on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And we're in his locker room, but met with the officials and, um, so he gets a chance to like speak to the team for like a minute before you know we go out to play. And the earlier game, the home team was winning, and on Saturday, Kevin, the two home teams had won. So I'm like, oh, Rex, this is easy, just go out there and tell the team, guys, tomorrow's New York Post back page. It's easy this weekend, three home teams and the Jets. Let's go. And that's exactly what he told the team. We beat the Chargers. That's what he said to the team right after the game, and that was the headline the next day. Divisional round of the playoffs, three home teams and the Jets.
0: Mike Tannenbaum, what a closer. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll see you soon. All right, thanks so much.